Good morning, Grace Bible Church. I've entitled this morning sermon, Living Your Best Life Now. I could tell by your laughs that uh, you recognize this phrase if you're familiar with certain modern false teachers who lie about the Christian life, saying that God only wants you to be wealthy and comfortable and have good relationships and be healthy all the time, right? Um, Hopefully we can take back this phrase this morning as we turn to the Word of God. So turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 90, and I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word as well. The, uh, psalm, the book of Psalms is not organized in chronological order. The first psalm is not the first psalm ever written. Psalm 90 is the first psalm ever written. Psalm 90, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are as but yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants, and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this past year of 2023. And as we look back, we just want to take stock uh, of everything that happened, everything we've done, everything you've done, Lord, and to really pour that into the next year as we seek to continue to pursue Christ with all our might. Teach us from your word this morning. Amen. The Bible says that every human being is a steward. A steward is a manager. Uh, A steward is someone who manages what does not belong to him or her, but belongs to somebody else. And in this life, God has primarily entrusted to us two things. uh, Many things, but primarily two things. Money and time. We all want to use both of these well. We can go to Barnes & Noble and pick up books on financial planning and time management. There's a whole market for this. A lot of money to be made. There's endless articles and videos and courses designed to give you the tools to use both of these resources well. But how often do people turn to God's Word to see what He says about our use of our money and our time? You can read books about... The lives of people who grew up in poverty, became wealthy, lost all their wealth, and then regained it all. That's the great thing about money. You can lose it, you can save it, you can invest it, and then you can earn it all back. But you can't do that with time. Time cannot be saved, it must be spent. And it cannot be regained. Time which is wasted or misinvested is lost forever. And church, God has carved out a fixed amount of time for each and every one of us. Has he not? We have one life to live, and it's short. 
Some of you have many years left to live. Some of you have much less time. And it doesn't depend on how young or old you are. Some of you are Christians. I pray many of you. Which means that your highest goal in life is to bring glory to God, to know Christ and to make him known. And you have a certain number of days left on earth to do that. Some of you are not Christians. And God is speaking just as directly to you about the use of your time. I mentioned books and articles and courses about time management. Here's the Bible's instruction for how to use our time. Get some perspective. Get an eternal perspective. We tend to live our lives, even as believers in Christ, we tend to live our lives thinking that this life is all there is to my personal existence. It is not. You will continue to exist in eternity in either heaven or hell, and so right now matters forever. It matters forever. And so the the central idea of what I want to show us from God's word this morning, what I believe it's really showing us is that we must walk with the eternal God if we want to live this short life well. That's going to be our, our main thrust for this morning. We must walk with the eternal God if we want to live this short life well. A couple of comments about Psalm 90. I mentioned it's the first psalm ever written by Moses. And Moses, as he was leading the Israelites in the desert for 40 years, as many of you are familiar with. This is after the exodus from Egypt where God rescued them with dramatic demonstrations of power that hadn't been seen since God flooded the entire planet. It wasn't a stroll in the park as they left. What should have been at most a journey of a couple of months turned out to be 40 years walking in circles in the desert going nowhere. Why? Why did it take so long? After being delivered from the oppression of Pharaoh, they began to do what? Complain and grumble against God and against Moses. They were impatient, ungrateful, and unbelieving. So they came under the severe discipline of God. They forfeited their right to the promised land, and God said, I'm going to give it to your children instead. But they're going to have to wait until you all die off to enter. That is what they were doing in the desert for 40 years. And so this is where we are, this is where they are as Moses is writing this psalm, just wasting away in the wilderness, eating the dust. And so as you look at verse 1, he begins, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He begins his prayer where every prayer must begin. Not with himself, not with his circumstances, not with his problems, not with all the, uh, the, the, the difficult situations that he had to deal with. It began with God. In his circumstances, he turned his eyes, his eyes toward God and remembered that as their lives fluctuate between seasons of deliverance and seasons of trial, there is something that is fixed. There is something that is uh, immovable, or rather someone, and that's God himself. He does not change. He's eternal. He's eternally who he is. And what Moses tells us here is that God is a home for his people. A home for his people. Even though they had no permanent residence up to this point, God was their dwelling place. He was their refuge. He was their place of protection, their home. This reminds us that God's care for his people is not dependent on geography. It is not dependent on their circumstances. You could be here at Grace Bible Church, you could be off in the middle of the jungle somewhere in Papua New Guinea. You could be in the middle of the desert. You could be on the moon. God's care for you is the same. It doesn't change. It's dependent upon your walk with him. It's dependent upon your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ and your your appropriate response to him of repentance and faith. His care for his people doesn't change because he does not change. Many of you in here know that, who have been walking with the Lord for maybe decades, and you've you've gone through the, the storms of life, and you bear the scars of walking in a fallen world. And you know at this point that God has been with you through all of it. 
if you're a child of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, you can have absolute certainty. Not wonder, not, not wish for, you can have certainty that God is with you in all places and in all problems. That he is for you, that he's in your corner, that he'll never leave your side, that he'll never leave you. Those outside of Christ don't have that hope. They don't have that certainty. They have to walk through this world alone. They don't have to, but they do. God, in all of his attributes, is who he is from all eternity. There was never a time when God did not exist, and there was never a time when God was different. We can look back at our lives and at certain seasons or years and think, man, I was a completely different person from who I am right now. God's never done that. He has never done that. Even before the creation of the world, as verse 2 tells us, when he, when he crafted the universe and the galaxies just by the word of his power alone, he was who he is. Some people ask, well, if God created everything, then who created God? The answer is no. No. He is the uncreated creator. He is without beginning, without end. We exist within time. God doesn't. He's, he's outside of time. Time is, is a created thing. Eternity is one unending moment. He's not subject to the succession of, of moments and days and years and decades like we are. And uh, we have certain markers that, that mark off those, that passage of time for us. Our knees, our hairlines, uh, our, our, our ability to get out of bed uh, in the morning, early. I'm starting to feel some of these things. Some of you are looking at me like, yeah, you don't even know yet. We have these markers. There are no such things with an eternal God. He stands in stark contrast to the frailty and the fragility and the brevity of our lives and our natures. So as you, turn to, as you look at verse 3, he says, You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are, as but, are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. Our short time in this world is going to end in death. Moses doesn't merely say that people die either. He says, you return man to dust. God is the one that does it. He is the one that returns us to the dust. God is sovereign over everything, over the weather, over international politics, over national politics, and over the days that we have left on planet Earth. In Genesis 3, as many of you are familiar with, after committing, after committing cosmic treason against his creator, God says to Adam, you are dust. And you, you know what? You're going to return to dust. Our lives are ultimately not subject to accidents, to this world, to circumstances, to disease or disasters. Our lives are under God's timetable. Everything else is just secondary. Everything else is just incidental. We all have an appointment with death. Well, actually, we have an appointment with God called death. It's not just, well, we go to sleep and then, and then that's it. It's just the, the, the closing of the last cover of the book of our lives. No, we have an appointment with God, a standing appointment. This appointment can't be expected. It can't be avoided. It cannot be postponed or rescheduled. You will make it on time. Some of us here have a hard time making it to things on time. We will make this on time, for sure. There's ultimately no such thing as a premature death. You will not die one second too soon or too late. Our days are fixed in eternity. And so we seriously need to get some perspective. We, we seriously need to, to consider the fact that our days on, on earth are, are nothing, they're just a few moments. It seems like a long time. My, my, it seemed like a long time. I was waiting for my dad to come up and visit for, for Christmas, and then the next moment, he, I was taking him to SFO. I mean, 
Consider a thousand years for God. It's like that, just a moment, just a moment. He even says here in verse 4, he says, or as a watch in the night. What does that mean, a watch in the night? Well, back in the ancient world, uh, cities were surrounded by walls. And they were surrounded by these walls to protect the city at nighttime from raiders, from um, people who would come and destroy the village and steal all of their possessions and kill all their people. And so on these walls, you had these, these guardians, basically these guards, these sentinels, that were taking shifts during the night, watching over the horizon to see if they could see dust coming up from armies marching or if they saw lights in the distance. And these shifts at night were about three to four hours. That's what a watch in the night is. Some of us in this room work eight-hour shifts, nine-hour shifts, 12-hour shifts, 48-hour tours. Three- to four-hour shift is nothing. It is nothing. That's what it's saying that time or the time of our lives is like compared to God. Our years are short. And so as we move into verse 5, Moses gives us three pictures to show us, to remind us that our lives are more vulnerable, more transient, and more fragile than we like to think. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. You know that the Middle East is, much of it is desert. It is hot and dry and arid and parched. And so, during the, the hot seasons of the year, you would have all these riverbeds, and they're all dried up, and there's nothing in them. But when God sends rain, the rains come down, these, river, these riverbeds are just inundated with water. And, and whatever, whatever debris or garbage or, or plant life or trees are going to be in there, they're all just swept away, all of it. That's what God says that death will do to the years of our life. We, we accumulate possessions and create memories. We build careers. We build families. We, we think we're leaving legacies. You know, these things are just going to get swept away in the end. I mean, how many of us remember our great-great-great-grandparents from 150 years ago? We live, we die, and we're forgotten. Very few live lives that are remembered for centuries. That's just the reality. Our lives are just going to get swept away as with a flood. He even says like a dream. They are like a dream. The years of our lives, like a dream. What does that mean? Does that mean that we're just living the, the perfect life? Oh, my, my life is a dream. You know, you wish you had my life. No, that's not what he's talking about. In a dream, we're asleep. We are, we're not aware of the realities that are happening all around us. And you know what? In a dream... You think that time is passing by really slowly. Some of our dreams, we remember them to be lasting hours, days. Some of us live, I don't know how common this is, but some people live lifetimes in their dream, at least in their perception. And then they wake up and reality hits them. And, you know, dreams are only a few seconds long. I believe they did studies on that. I'll have to, someone double check me. But I believe dreams are really seconds to a minute long. You think that time, that you think you have all the time in the world, but then you will be awakened to reality. And you're going to stand face to face with God. Like grass, we grow and we flourish and are green, and then by noon, the sun scorches it. You know, in this, I have family out in Nevada, and it is hot out there. It's hot during the day, but at nighttime, some of the year, at nighttime it's cool. And when it's cool, in the, in the early hours of the morning, there's moisture on the ground. We experience, we experience that here too. And when there's moisture on the ground, these, these little seeds of grass will germinate and then they'll, they'll just begin to poke themselves out of the ground and sprout up. But in a hot environment, in a scorching environment, that grass is not going to last it till noon. We were young. We were born. We were young. We grew up into adolescence. We were strong physically. We eventually reached our peak physical strength, and then we start to decline. 
like grass. That is the time that we have on this earth. That is what our lives are characterized by, ultimately. Our life is short, frail, and soon coming to an end. Death is the reality of human life. Again, no one can avoid. But have you ever actually thought about death itself? Why do things die? Why is there death? Why why don't we just continue on forever at our peak physical strength? Why don't we just get better and better and better and stronger and stronger and stronger? Why do we decline? Verse 7, For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. I grew up watching TV shows and sitting in classes where I was told that death is just a natural part of life. And in a sense it is now. But death was not a part of God's original design for the good Uh, universe that he created the bible tells us unmistakably that death exists because of sin genesis 3 is clear about that there was no death before genesis 3 many of you are familiar with romans 6 23 you can turn there if you want but i'm just going to read it it's just a short verse tells us that the wages of sin is death you know what wages are wages are what you earn Sin earns death. That's an easy formula. Death only exists because we are sinners. And not just in us as well. We're not the only ones that die. When, when Adam sinned in the garden, there were, there were cosmic repercussions of this. The whole universe is in a state of entropy where things are moving from order to disorder, where things are constantly in decline. Stars are dying. The planet is dying. Cells die. Plants die. Animals die. There were cosmic effects of this. It's not just us. That is what iniquity and transgression earns us. It's an expression of God's holy character against sin. His, an expression of his holy character against evil and sin. Verse 8, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. If there was ever a perfect example of an oxymoron, it's this, secret sins. There is no such thing as a secret sin. There are sins that other people don't see. There's no such thing as a sin that God doesn't see. That was the problem with this generation that Moses was leading, is that they all thought that they were grumbling and complaining behind God's back. And God's saying, you know, I hear you loud and clear. Every single one of you. Even your thoughts. Every complaining thought, every lustful glance, every evil motive is in full color HD before God. It doesn't matter how religious or respectable you look, how many times you come to church, if you've been baptized, God sees all of it. It's not getting past him. And he's not going to overlook it either. Every sin will be punished. It will be punished. The question is, Will it be punished in you or on the cross? That's the question we have to ask. Verse 9, For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. You know, I can't stop thinking about this, this generation of Israelites. You know, they saw the power of God with their own eyes. They saw it at work on full display for them, on their behalf. And just a few days in this desert, they're, they're, they just forgot all about it. And I'm up here being judgmental against them, what about my life? How many times have I done that? Ungrateful, impatient complainers and idolaters. How many times is that our walk with the Lord? And again, God said to them, since you've rejected me and rebelled against me so consistently, after I just rescued you, you're not going to see the promised land I'm going to give it to your children instead. What began with, with shouts of joy ends with a sigh. It says here, we bring our years to an end like a sigh. They didn't sprint across the finish line. They didn't, their, their lives did not crescendo into the presence of God. It's sad. What a wasted life. What a squandered 40 years of time that they could have been, they could have been settled in the promised land by that time. 
They could have been glorifying God in the land that he promised to them. Are you going to finish your life whenever that is with a sigh? Limping across the finish line? Just kind of walking across the finish line? Keep going. Keep sprinting. Keep progressing. Don't end your life with a sigh like this generation. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is toil and trouble. They are soon gone. Not eventually gone, soon gone. And we fly away. My mother's father died at 65. My father's father died at 89. Average lifespan is 70 to 80 years. Some people have lived longer. Some people in here are older than 80 years old. And you think, man, uh, the young people in here are thinking, man, I got my whole life ahead of me. I got decades. I have a long time to get right with the Lord. And some of you here are thinking, man, where did the time go? It's just gone. Longest person ever to live in the Bible. A couple generations down from Adam, Methuselah. 969 years, almost a millennium. That's nothing to God. Nothing. It's a drop of water in the ocean. And so Moses is is weighing these two things, the brevity of our life with eternity and with the reality of God's hatred of our sin, his absolute, the, the rage that he has against evil. And so, crescendos here to verse 11 and 12 afterward, who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? In other words, who has taken death, eternity, and God as seriously as they need to be taken? It's a rhetorical question. He doesn't even answer it. The answer is so obvious. Who has grasped the full weight of his or her sins and what that will translate into when you meet God? Have you reckoned with the rage, the fury that God has against sin? Even what we think to be small sins, tiny sins. If you're Roman Catholic, venial sins. If you're from that background, you know what I'm talking about. Venial sins. Sins that seem like they don't really matter that much. And God has opened the eyes of his children, those who, have, those who have believed in Christ, to be able to understand and to respond with repentance and faith. But even then, we still don't grasp the, the, the magnitude, the severity of our sins, the, the, the quantity and the quality, how bad it is and how much there is of it. We still don't get it even. We need to continually uh, pursue the knowledge of that, then our lives would be dramatically different. They'd be dramatically different. We wouldn't be worrying about things like, uh, you know, what we watch on TV and what we listen to and the certain things that we say. Those things would, those things would change dramatically if we understood. And so, Moses brings us to the heart of this prayer. Verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When you, when you see the word so, this is, this is basically the equivalent of the Apostle Paul's therefore in the New Testament. All these things are true, therefore, live this way. So, then, therefore, teach us to number our days. Well, I thought you just said that you can't number your days, that you can't know exactly how much time you have left to live on this earth. That's true. But what Moses is saying here is that he's asking God, teach me to value the remaining time that I have left on this earth. Teach me to value it. Teach me to make the best use of my time for things that will matter in eternity. Teach me to live my best life now. He's acknowledging that we've all been given a fixed set of days and that we will have to answer for how we use those days. Jesus said in the, in the, in the New Testament, in the Gospel, he said, you will give an account for every careless word that you spoke. Not every sinful word, not every malicious word, every careless word you will have to give an account for. So he's saying, Lord, don't let me waste this life. Don't let me squander these years don't let me misinvest, don't let me misinvest my time. 
Help me to live every moment for you, every moment for your glory. Even in the mundane, every, everyday things of life, we can live for him. We can do things with excellence. We can do things to, to know Christ better. We can do things with our thought life rather than just you know, filling it with mindless entertainment all the time and all the time, we can, we can uh, orient our hearts by, by saturating ourselves with the Word of God and by enjoying fellowship with Christ through prayer. Help me to live every moment for you. Church, don't presume upon tomorrow. Don't think that you have tomorrow. You have to live today. Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, it's always, it's always written, and immediately, and immediately, and immediately Jesus did this. And immediately Jesus preached to these people. Immediately Jesus healed such and such a person. He was always doing something. He was always getting on to the next thing that the Lord had for him. Later on in his life, he would say that, you know, we have to work the works of God while it's day. Because night is coming when no man can work. What that means is that his, even his time on earth was short. He lived 30, 33 years He only had three years of a ministry. We have to do it now. We have to do it in the time that God has given us. I don't know if he's given me tomorrow. I don't know if I I have another ten years. I have to work the works of God now, and so do you. Don't be like that generation that God rescued out of Egypt and just unnecessarily unnecessarily spun their wheels in the desert for four decades doing nothing, waiting to die. Don't you want to live a life that matters in the end? Don't you want to live a life that's significant? A life that you won't regret on the last day? Some people might be thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm, I am living a good life. I've, I've, uh, don't, I've, I've been generous to people in need. I've raised a family. I progressed in my career. I built this business. I'm going to pass it on to a successor. You know, I've done good for the world. I'm not going to regret it. You know what those things are going to mean before God if you're outside of Christ? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. All religion, all good works, all religiosity, coming to church, getting baptized, being generous, giving money to the church, those things add up to zero with God if you're outside of Christ. The only works that will matter for your own righteousness are works that are not your own. And you need to lay hold of those now. You need to make sure that you've laid hold of them now. Every thought, every word, every action, every motive will be audited and accounted for. You know what hell is full of? Procrastinators. It's full of people who knew the gospel, knew the way to heaven, knew the way that their sins could be forgiven, and they think, yes, I want that. I want to do that. I want to receive that. Tomorrow. Because I want my sin right now. And if Jesus is still going to be there, then I'm just going to do it tomorrow. That is unfortunate. Because they're in hell, and the memory of all those opportunities that they had to believe in Christ is haunting them. Get right with God before you meet him. I keep saying it, there's only one way. And God has given it himself, and he has made it available to the whole world. Jesus is, a savior, is the savior of the world. Do you understand that? He's the savior of the world. Turn from your sins in repentance and turn toward the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. That's it. That is how you receive eternal life. That is how you receive the forgiveness of your sins. Not, that's not how you earn those things. It's how you receive them. Only Christ earned those things for us. This is what characterizes what verse 12 calls a heart of wisdom. Turn to Proverbs 1 with me real quick. should only be a few pages to the right of your Bible. 
When I was in school and I had to write essays, uh, you had to have a bo- an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. You also had to have a thesis. And the thesis, the main thesis, was what told the reader what the rest of the essay or the rest of the paper was going to be about. And that's what we have in the book of Proverbs, in chapter 1, verse 7. We have the thesis for the whole book. This is a book of wisdom, mind you. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Later on in the book of Proverbs, this is repeated. But it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Being smart doesn't make you wise. Being smart doesn't make you wise. Understanding and meditating on and applying the word of God is what makes you wise. Understanding who God is and uh, responding appropriately to that with fear and faith and love, that is what makes you wise. Not being smart, not being able to figure out you know, such and such formulas and, and, uh, and whatever else, you know, high intellectually achieving people can do. Those things don't make you wise. Knowing God, fearing God, loving God, that is what characterizes a heart of wisdom. And once you do those things, then you can begin to truly live and walk out the life that God wants for you, that God intends for your good, not for your misery, for your good. And so verse 13, O Lord, a return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Now we know ultimately that God is in every place at all times in the fullness of his being. He's omnipresent, right? We know this. But what Moses is asking for here, what he's acknowledging is that the nation is under discipline, the heavy hand of God's chastisement because of their grumbling, their ingratitude, their idolatry, their immorality, and their unbelief. God isn't ultimately absent, but in a sense, he, he has stepped back, withdrawn himself from them because of their sin and their unbelief. He's withdrawn his blessing. He's walked back his guidance. He's withheld his empowerment, the empowerment that, he, that, that so many generations of God's people have known to live lives that matter, that are significant, that make an impact in people's lives. God has withheld that from them. And so he's saying, Lord, return to us. I know he's, he's, he's acting really as the mediator for, these, for this grumbling group of people. I know, we've, I know we've walked away. I know we've rebelled. I know that we have rejected you. Come back. Come back. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've known or seen, witnessed and experienced the power of God in your life, in your salvation, in acts of deliverance or, or healing. And then your love grew cold. And then your Bible started to collect dust. And then your seat at church started to get empty. Or even if all those things weren't true, you knew that your heart was growing cold toward God. Your love grew cold, your gratitude dried up, and you stopped walking with the Lord the way that you know you should be walking with him. You may be doing all these activities, but you stopped walking with him in your heart the way you know that you should be. Moses knew that it was true of this people for sure, and so he's begging, pleading with God, come back to us. Return. Draw near to us again, Lord. Show us the kindness that is in your nature to show. Work in our midst and empower us to make the best use of the time that we've been given. He, Moses knows that they're not going to enter the promised land. Even he's not going to enter the promised land because of his sin and his unbelief. Not ultimate unbelief, but in his frustration, he, he, de- he definitely exhibited that. And so he came under that discipline as well. He's like, Lord, I, I know we're not going to enter the promised land. I know we're going to die here in the desert. Just help us come back to us. Help us to use what time we have left well. 
And he says, not just for us. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Because their children, this second Exodus generation, they're the ones who are going to enter the promised land. And you know what? They're still going to have to believe God for themselves. They're not going to enter the promised land just on their parents' coattail. They're going to have to go in on their own. They're going to have to not just believe in God on their own, they're going to have to believe God on their own. They're going to have to trust God for themselves and follow God for themselves. Listen, church, there is a generation of people, of children, of God's people, who will stand as the body of Christ on this planet when we are all gone. Some of them may be in this room. Some of them may be in this room. They haven't even come to faith in Christ yet. We need to be praying for that generation. That they, that they would be more faithful than we are. That they would be more countercultural than we are. That they would be more in love with the Lord Jesus Christ than we are. And they're going to have to be. Because the world is growing more and more hostile and the next generation of believers in Christ are going to have to go even further than we are going. Lord, let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to our children. Amen. Verse 17, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Moses concludes the first psalm ever written with a prayer for divine empowerment, divine enablement. Life is too short, Moses is saying. This is, Lord, life is too short and we have wasted too much of it trying to drive with the parking brake on. We've been out in the sideline for too long, off the court for too long, spinning our wheels, going nowhere. No more, Lord, Confirm for us the work that you've prepared for us to do and help us do it. That's what he's praying. We need to make this our prayer. This has to be the prayer for us. We don't know, again, we don't know how much time we have left. And I think if we're honest, we can look back at time that we've wasted, opportunities we've squandered, ways that we could have brought glory to God and didn't. Well, there's no going back. But we can go forward, and we can keep moving, keep progressing. Paul says to, to con- continue to press on for the upward goal of the call of Christ Jesus in our lives. Show me what you want me to do with my life, and give me what I need to carry it out. That's his prayer. Establish the work of our hands. That's one of the most exciting things about the Christian life. The adventure of the Christian life, even is that you know that God has a calling for your life, that he's prepared good works for you to walk in. And some of those, you don't even know what they are yet. He's only going to show you those things in, in that moment that he wants you to do it. Other things, he's put on your heart that are long-term, that he, that he wants you to know this is what I want you to do with your life, with the remaining time that you have left. And frankly, a lot of those things we don't want to do. Our flesh, our flesh fights against that. Uh, that's uncomfortable. Uh, they're not going to like me if I do that. Uh, I'm, I'm going to miss out on all these other things that I want to do. This is going to be inconvenient for my life. Just do it. Just obey. And see what God does with it. See, see the adventure that he takes you on uh, as, he, as, he, as he opens those doors and wants you to walk through. Ultimately for your benefit. Ultimately for your good. For your joy. Today's the last day of 2023. Some of you have set resolutions for the new year of 2024, and frankly, I don't have anything to say to you about those things from the Word of God, about what resolutions you need to make or how you go about accomplishing those. That is between you and the Lord. But I can tell you that the Word of God says this. He says, you need to make the best use of your time because the days are evil. You need to make the best use of your time. It also says that you need to to train yourself using athletic language. Train yourself or discipline yourself for godliness. 
Those are, that's what the Word of God says about the use of your time, whatever your resolutions are. Again, don't be like them. Don't be like these Israelites that came out of Egypt that Moses had to lead, spending their years grumbling and complaining, robbing themselves of joy and robbing God of the glory that is due to him. So close to their goal, yet so far. Don't do that. Don't spend your years like that. Don't end your years like that. If you're young, spare yourself the regret that I'm sure so many people have in this room because they squandered the days of their youth in sin and in unbelief. I'm willing to bet my whole dinner that every person in this room wishes they could go back and believe in Christ sooner in their lives. Spare themselves the years of misery that comes with sin. The sin that promised that we sing, we sing this. The sin that promised us joy in life has led me to my grave. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go through that. You can go through the strongest years of your life knowing God. The last chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes says, Know your create, remember your creator in your youth. You can do that. And then you can live your life knowing that God is with you in the storms of life, having the certainty that you will enjoy his presence forever when this life is over. Personal repentance for your sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the only way. And by the way, that's faith in Christ alone. Not faith in Christ and, you know, hopefully I'll also be a good enough person. And if you're older in here, don't cruise or limp across the finish line. Don't do that. You may be retired or not, but you don't retire from service to our master. You don't retire from service to Christ. You don't retire from the kingdom of God. Keep going. Keep pushing. Keep progressing. You know, it's better, to, it's better to burn out than to rust out. Don't rust out. You know, if you burn out and you're tired, okay, then, then go to bed. And then do it again in the morning. Just keep going. Keep going. And if you need to take a, if you, need to take a, a you know, phys, we all need physical rest. We need recreation. We need, we, need, we need time away with our families. That's fine. I'm not saying don't do those things. But labor to the point of exhaustion for Christ. And pursue them with all you've got. There's no better way to finish this than with the words of our Lord himself, right? So turn with me to Luke 12. Luke 12. This is known to many of us as the parable of the rich fool. Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, him being Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. He he actually has anxiety because of his wealth. That should tell you something about wealth. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and all my goods. This is not a generous man. This is a greedy man. This is not a man who wants to be a blessing to others with his wealth. He just wants to accumulate it. That was what his life was about. My life is about stuff and getting lots of it. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. You got plenty of time. And you know what? You have the stuff to enjoy with during that time. So let's party. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
that is the life of someone whose life is about stuff. I can get right with God tomorrow. I can get right with... You know, religion is something for old people. Like you all. Religion is something for, for people who, you know, who, who are scared of death and that they want to, and they, they, they want to feel good about, it, you know, about themselves in the end and, and just hope that you know, they don't go to someplace bad and so they just, you know, I'll get, you know they, they want to get right with God then. Foolish. Absolute foolishness. What a stupid man. What a stupid thing it is to make your life about things that you can't take with you that are just going to be destroyed anyways or given to someone else. Get right with God now. Not tomorrow. Now. Right now is the appointed time and right now is the day of salvation. You want to live a life that, this isn't about just eternal life as well. The life that you're living this moment. Because the because. Frankly, you may have many years. You shouldn't presume, but you may have many years left to live. How are you going to live them? Do you want to live a life that matters, that's significant, that's a blessing to other people that you're not going to regret on that day? So the Psalm 90 says, get some perspective. Get some perspective, understand, and, and take seriously eternity and that appointment you have with God because it's coming quicker than you think. So you want to live your best life now? Number your days. Number your days and make the best use of your time. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the great gift of your Son who is available right now. And Lord, give us the assurance, the assurance that we need in our hearts to continue to live in this dark world and to keep pressing forward and to make use of every opportunity, to take advantage of every opportunity. We want to bring you glory. We want to know Christ, and we want to make him known. Help us to do that. Lord, work in spite of our weaknesses. Lord, work even through our weaknesses. We know that you can do all things. So we ask you to do this. In Jesus' name, amen.